Hey everyone, we hope you're having a great week. My name is Eric Johnson, and along with my wife Candace, we are the lead pastors of Studio. We are based in Greenville, South Carolina, and we just want to take a moment and say hello and say thanks for listening to this podcast. So with that, let's get right to it. Thank you, Eric. I can can genuinely say that it is such a deep honor to run with the studio family, to be a a part of this movement, to live vicariously through studio in Greenville. I woke up a week ago to catch a flight uh, to come out here to Greenville. My 13-year-old daughter, Cece, caught me as I was walking out the door. Little Cece looked at me and said, Dad, Next time you go to Greenland, take me. I didn't have the heart to tell her I wasn't going to Greenland, so I said nothing. Cece's convinced I'm in Greenland this, uh, this week, so please don't tell her. Uh, Eric and Candice have been some of our closest friends, and, and to be a part of this dream, I'll never forget uh, some of the moments over sushi. Uh, sitting around a fire pit two years ago with Eric as he was dreaming about this family long before it existed. I'm convinced every God dream begins either around sushi or a fire pit. I I know that somewhere in the book of Habakkuk, but I'll can teach that some other time. But uh, I want to pray a prayer right now. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that as the word of God is preached, as we open up this narrative, as we speak these words, Bonhoeffer says that Jesus himself comes and he walks among the people. That as as we do our best to say words, the word comes. The word himself, he says, he calls it the incarnation of the word in the preaching, that we've encountered God in his presence and now we encounter God in the preaching and that as as we preach, uh, Jesus comes. Uh, to me, this is so encouraging because when, when my message seems to be like tanking, I just look for Jesus. And he looks at me and says, I got you. I mean, how many times do we preach a message and someone afterwards says, hey, that changed my life. And you ask them, well, what did I say? And they say something and you're like, I never said that. Jesus has this profound way of just standing between the, the, the preaching and the church and putting his hands on people and imparting the words he wants you to hear. And so I want to pray that, Jesus, God, as, as we open up this narrative, uh, God, our prayer is that we would become a people, God, who come to your word as expectant as we come to worship. God, that we'd be a people that come to your story as much as we love your spirit, God. God, I pray that you raise up not just a worship people in Greenville, but a word people. God, this holy collision of word and worship, God, to transform a city. We invite your presence. God, break open your heart as we break open your story. We pray this. Your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, I want to take a moment and just share a word for the studio family. As I was praying and asking God, God, what are you forming here? What are you doing with this family? I, uh, God led me to the, the life and the story of 
Joshua. And I just want to take just a moment. This is not the preach this morning. This is the, the preach before the preach. Uh, but I, I had this sense that, that God is raising up a, a Joshua church uh, here in Greenville. Uh, Moses led the people of God up the mountain. Joshua led the people of God into cities and culture. As much as Moses called them out, Joshua led them in. There are Moses moments where God calls people out. There are Joshua assignments where God is sending people in. And I'm convinced that that Studio is is a, a Joshua church that that God has called to cities and culture. And as I was praying, um, God led me to uh, Joshua chapter 5. It's the moment where uh, Joshua has been called to the city of Jericho. He's standing, he's facing Jericho. He's said yes to this assignment. And as he stands there, there's this, there's this moment. You can almost miss the moment if you move too quickly uh, to the, the, the Jericho moment. In Joshua chapter 5, he's standing there and he sees a man. He, Joshua's leading the army of Israel. He sees this man and he, he calls out to this man. He says, are you for us or are you against us? And this man standing there says, neither. I'm the commander of heaven's armies. And immediately Joshua falls face down on the ground. I felt like the Lord said that he's raising up a people of neither. God is neither. Are you for us or against us? <laughs> nope. Neither. There's, there's an anointing for neither. In our day of political polarization, gender confusion, racial tension, theological drift, deconstruction, God's raising up. God is neither. God will not be used, labeled, or leveraged for our agendas. And so God is looking for a people who, who will not react to culture, who will not live in the us versus them that so many churches have, have, have lived from, but they'll live from the presence of God. I can, live, I can live in the us versus them, or I can live from the presence of God. And God's raising up a people of neither, as if you've come from a different planet. God, God is looking for believers who, have, who, who are living, not reacting to culture, but responding to heaven. And it's only those who respond to heaven who come out of the us versus them, who stop asking the questions, are you for us or against us, but instead come from the presence that will have something to offer cities and culture. And, and then what happens, I felt like the Lord said this, here's, here's Joshua, when Joshua bowed down, it was in the bowing down, it was, it was in the face down moment that he got the blueprints for the city. And, and I just, and you guys know this, but I sense the Lord saying he's giving studio the blueprints for the city. And I heard the Lord say this, a, 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 a church for cities, not just city. Uh, there's, a, there's a verse in the, the life of Joshua where it says God gave Joshua Jericho and nine more cities, 10 cities. I feel like the Lord is going to show this community how the, the goal of God is not to get the city in the church, but get the church in the city. And God's going to give studios some blueprints for the city. 
because he's called you to be a church for cities. And I just, I have this picture of like cities, leaders and pastors and followers of Jesus are going to come here because there's going to be keys for transforming a city. We, we can no longer, God's not interested in church people. He's looking for city people. He's looking for kingdom people. And the last thing that happens in this, this story here, I'm not even preaching yet. Maybe I should just preach Joshua. But what happens here is, is when he bows down, the, the God of neither, a church for the cities, when he bows down in this moment, the, the angel of the Lord speaks to him and says this, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. Now, what's so interesting about this moment here is the, the, this space, the place where Joshua is, is not holy ground. Holy ground in the Old Testament in Joshua's day would have been on a mountain. It would have been in a temple. This was not holy ground. This is one of the first moments in Scripture where God's redefining holy. And I feel like one of what is going to mark Studio Church is a, a people who redefine holy. It's maybe the first time in the Bible that God is saying this. Hey, listen, holy is no longer a place you go to. It's wherever you are. And this is, and it echoes the call to Joshua that wherever you go, I'm already there. That's why it's holy. So God, I just pray in this space, you'd raise up a people of neither. A church for cities. And a people who redefine holy for a generation. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, if you guys would turn to Ephesians Chapter 5, verse 8, I want to share this, um, this word from Paul's letter. Here, here's this letter that Paul writes from a prison cell in Rome. You get this sense Paul's pacing back and forth in this, this Roman prison cell, worshiping and writing these words, this, this book, uh, Ephesians, is this, this worship book. It's deeply theological. It's very practical, but it comes from, from Paul getting this stunning vision for the church. This letter that would have been read all, all across Asia Minor in house churches in different cities, but lands in the city of Ephesus because Ephesus was a hub for these new believers. Ephesus was one of the most innovative, creative, progressive, growing cities on the planet at the time. So really the, the Greenville of Asia Minor. Paul is writing to Timothy who has planted a new church in this, this massive, powerful, creative city, Ephesus. And Paul is calling these new believers to live into the fullness of their lives. Very few followers of Jesus live into the fullness of their lives. This is the language that Paul uses, that you would come into the fullness of who you are. For three chapters, he, he, he is saying, this is who you are. Now live who you are. Well, once you discover who you are, now you live. And so he's turned the corner. Now that we know our identity, how do we live out and live into the fullness of who we are? And Paul moves this passage to Ephesians 5.8 where he says this, for once you were full of darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
So live as people of light. Uh, Paul is talking about rage and the power of words, unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, slander, all kinds of stuff that, that probably happened in his day but doesn't happen much these days. <laughs> this letter gets real because now he, he is calling them from their old lives into their new life with Jesus. He's confronting their old ways and he uses this language of light as he talks about harsh words and slander and anger and unforgiveness. And as, as he's confronting their, their souls, the space they've been in, calling them into new space with God, he uses this language of light and he says, listen, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So essentially he's saying, live light. That's the call in Ephesians 5, live light. This word light is one of the most used words in the Bible. It's used 232 times. It's one of uh, the most vibrant themes in Scripture. The first time it's used is in uh, the book of Genesis. This whole story unfolds. The Bible begins with this, uh, this moment. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and Darkness covered the deep waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over this, this emptiness, this darkness, this void. Then God said, light. The first recorded word God speaks over creation is let there be light. So maybe this is a big deal word. We, we all want a word from the Lord, right? We all want to hear from God. The very first word, God could speak any word over creation. Here's God hovering over his dream, his creation, the universe, the planet. He's hovering over the, the void, the emptiness. The very first word he speaks is light. Uh, of all the words, of all the, the prophetic words, of all the the blessings. God wants to bless creation and he's searching for the word. The word that he finds is light. Now what's fascinating about this moment on this first day where God blesses creation, where he speaks this word light, uh, it won't be until the fourth day. It won't be until three days later that God will create sunlight, moonlight, and starlight. So this, this light, this blessing, this thing God puts in motion, this way God blesses or crafts or speaks into the universe, this word light has nothing to do with physical light. Maybe the best way we could describe it is spiritual light. Uh, later on, in 1 John, John the writer picks up this theme, 1 John 1.5. He says this, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. Here's John who's using this epic language. This is the message we heard from Jesus and we now declare to you, God is 
is light and there is no darkness in him. So not only is light a word God speaks, but God is light. It's the very nature of who he is. God is light. Here's the writer John saying, hey, if there's something you need to know about God, he's light. And this isn't lights we can see. This is a, another kind of light. This is the, the, the Greek word that Paul uses in Ephesians 5, this word phos, this Greek word. One of the best ways to, to describe or translate it is the word clear. God is clear. God is see-through. God is transparent. He is light. There's no darkness in him. This is why Jesus in his ministry can say, hey, the enemy's coming for me, but he has nothing on me. Light. Nothing hidden, no secrets, no, no hidden chapters of my life, no, no hidden fear, no, no pockets of shame. I'm, I, I'm clear. I'm light. The rabbis teach that the first thing God does in the whole God story is create light and separate light from darkness. The first thing God does is create light and he separates it from darkness. The rabbis teach that the whole rest of the God story, that every word, every verse, every chapter, every genealogy, every letter in this Bible is just God standing in front of his people, calling them from darkness into light. The whole rest of the story is God teaching his people how to come fully into light because coming into the fullness of your life, we can spend our lives in church and never come into the fullness of who we are. But coming into the fullness, for those that are here that want to come into the, the fullness of who you are because of the fullness of who Christ is in you, it begins with light. Being honest is one of the most spiritual things we can ever do. One of the most spiritual things I can do is just be clear, be light, be transparent. Paul invites us to live this, this way, this way of being authentic, this way of being open, this way of being light. In this city of Ephesus, one of the darkest regions on the planet, they said that Ephesus was so filled with, with uh, the demonic, it was so filled with demons that you, you couldn't stick a pin between them. And here's Timothy that gets sent into this city, this powerful city. Artemis was the goddess of this city, Ephesus. She was said to be one of the most powerful goddesses on the planet. And yet Paul says something to Timothy here. He says, hey, listen, you want to be powerful. You want to live in such a way that the darkness gets pushed back. Live light. No secrets. No hiding. No pretending. Nothing in the caverns of my soul. Living in such a way that I'm see-through. And Paul doesn't just say this. 
Ephesians 5, 8 is profound. He doesn't just say, hey, hey, listen, you lived in darkness, now you live in light. The language is the, the language of identity here. You were darkness, now you are light. You are light. This is your very nature. This is who you are because of who Christ is in you. Now that Jesus lives in you and you live in him and you're not quite sure where you end and he begins because you're one with Christ because of that oneness, you are light. This is who you are. These young followers of Jesus would have read this in their house churches and wept as God is marking them with this, this new identity, this new humanity, this, this new creation calling to be light in the darkness all around them. This is the, the language of identity as the, as the prophet's DC talk once said, <laughs> we're gonna live in the light as he is in the light. As this uh, God story unfolds, what's, what's profound to me is the first thing God does is speak the word light. What's the first thing Adam and Eve do? They hide. This is a story about light and hiding. This is why God shows up and his, his first question to Adam and Eve is, uh, where are you? And it's not like God's confused about where they are. This isn't God saying, hey, where'd you go? This is God say, saying, why are you hiding? I've called you to be light. Why are you, why are you covering up? Why are you, why, are you, why are you living who you aren't? Uh, Richard Foster says it this way. He says, we feel that everyone else has advanced so far into holiness that we are isolated and alone in our sin and our darkness. We cannot bear to reveal our failures and shortcomings to others. We imagine we are the only ones. So we hide ourselves from one another and live veiled lives in hypocrisy. That phrase there jars me. We have believed we're the only ones. And how many came to church tonight? How many of you came into this room and you've worshiped God, but there's a, a part of you that's been hiding for a long time? And you've come to believe the lie that you're the only one. Eugene Peterson, he says it this way. He says, you groped your way through the murk once, but no longer. You're out in the open now. The bright light of Christ makes your way plain. Figure out what will please Christ and then do it. Don't waste your time on useless work. The barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the shame they are. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things they must do in darkness where no one will see. And then I love this phrase. Peterson says this, rip the covers off the frauds and see how attractive they look in the light. 
rip the covers off. Paul says this, he says, don't participate in these things people do. You were once darkness, now you're light. For this light within you produces what is good and right and true. It's profound. We could spend more time here, but this light, when we live without secrets, when we live into our fullness, when we live light, when we live clear, when we live see-through, when a community of people choose to live without secrets, no, no hidden addictions, no secret bitterness, no no secrets in your marriage, no, no parts of your life that you haven't fully brought into the Jesus light. It produces, Paul says this, it produces what is good and right and true. Light leads us to what is good, right, and true. In a day where, where truth has been so skewed, in a day of, of so much confusion in the church and in culture. Well, what God is saying here, the, the, the promise, the invitation of Ephesians 5 is, if I can live light, if I can live like Jesus lived, and I can say, hey, listen, the enemy's coming for me, but he has nothing on me. If I can live without secrets, without hiding, without pretending, it, it's actually producing something that is good, right, and true. I think for many of us, living a, a life of good, right, and true begins with, I'm not going to have secrets. There won't be parts of my life that I hide because I'm embarrassed. I mean, I just, as the, the Bible unfolds, how many, how many of these stories that, that we have read, that we preach, that we were raised on, how many of these stories are about God leading people into moments of brutal honesty? You think about Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. He has this encounter with God. And what does Isaiah say? He says, I'm undone. Do you know God is looking for a people who are undone? The problem is half of y'all have spent your whole life trying to be done. The, the undoneness of my soul is the desire of God. Proverbs 11 says it this way. God delights in honesty. Isaiah has this encounter of, with God and he, he, he comes into undoneness. He falls apart in the presence of God because somehow the light of God has pierced his soul. This is what God wants. God is not looking for a polished church. He has plenty of those. God is looking for a people who will be undone in his presence. Unraveled. Because he's just that good. I think of uh, Peter in the boat in Luke chapter 5. And Jesus steps into his boat. And when Peter realizes Jesus is in my boat, he falls face down on the ground. What I love about this moment is Jesus doesn't say a word to him. Jesus doesn't confront him on his sin. Jesus doesn't tell Peter how awful he's been. This, this is the beautiful thing about light. Light doesn't have to say things. It just has to shine. Uh, we, could, we could preach a whole other message about how Jesus is light. And when we learn to be like Jesus, the, the lightness confronts the darkness. 
Listen, people don't need to be told how far they are from Jesus. They just need to encounter the light of Jesus. Jesus is really good at drawing all men to himself. There's a generation of sons and daughters right now. They don't need to, they don't need to know what they're doing wrong. They need to be told who they are. The, the light of God draws them into what is true and good and right. I think about uh, Zacchaeus, the wee little man who wants to see Jesus. He, he climbs this tree to see Jesus. And you know, what's fascinating about this moment is he wants to see Jesus. Instead, he's seen by Jesus. Like, it's one thing when you see him. It's another when he sees you. Some of us, listen, some of us are here today and you're like, you see him, but wait till he sees you. But when, when you're seen by Jesus, this is where, so here's Zacchaeus who gets seen by Jesus. He's like, I want to see Jesus. He doesn't even know what he wants. He's seen by Jesus and Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today. Jesus passing through Jericho says, I'm coming to your house today. He's so undone. He's so unraveled by the, the, the piercing rivetness of God, the God who sees him, the, the see-through God who sees through him, that he starts to repent and says, if I've cheated anyone out of anything, he starts to make things right. Jesus doesn't confront Zacchaeus on anything. What's happening here? Light. When we live light, when we live in a way that, that we have no secrets, nothing hidden. And this doesn't mean God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for open people. I was at a pastor's conference this past year. The preacher was talking about unpacking the suitcase of our souls. He was speaking to a whole community of pastors. He was talking about how too often we can lead in the church, but, but not unpack the suitcase of our own souls. I had this thing in my life that was embarrassing. I had this thing I was ashamed of that I hadn't shared with anyone. And I felt so deeply convicted in this moment, this invitation into freedom, this invitation into light. And I remember God speaking something to me. He says, Nate, listen, what I want is access. I had one of the most profound encounters or revelations with God I've had in years. The Lord said this. He said, Nate, I'm not trying to get you somewhere. I'm trying to get you open. Do you know the will of God isn't to get you somewhere? It's to get you open. God's not trying to get you somewhere. We, we live in this strange day where, where many of us have bought into the, the hurry or the, the lie or the, the, the confusion that God's trying to get me somewhere. And so we live with this sense that I should be further, I should. God is not, God's not interested in getting you somewhere. He just wants you open. God wants access. In my, in my 20s, my prayer was, God, would you just set me on fire? My prayer in my 20s was, God, I just want passion. My, my prayer in my 30s was, God, would you deepen me? I just want, God, would you anoint me? Would you deepen me? My, my prayer in my 40s is, God, just keep me open. 
Because there's so much in life that's warring to just shut off your soul. So much happening with our kids, so much happening in culture, so much happening in our marriages, so much happening in our lives, so much happening in our finance. There's a, there's a war to just shut down our souls. My prayer is, God, just keep me open. Keep me tender. Keep me tender. I just want to be open-hearted. God wants access to our souls. And he leads us into these, these moments of brutal honesty. We could go around the room right now and add how many stories could we tell in this very room about moments, piercing, Holy Spirit moments, piercing light moments, where God moves so deeply in your life, you had to confess something. You had to get it out. This is what the word confess means. It means I can no longer carry it in here. I'm convinced that so much of the anxiety, so much of the fear, so much of the shame, so much of the depression that's, that, that's, that's riddling a generation, right? So much of, even in this room, the anxiety that we have is because we are carrying in our souls what we were never meant to carry alone. The, the, the church, when it becomes a, a people of light, a family of light, a community of light, it becomes a shame-free zone where we show up and no matter what happens in our lives, we're able to confess things and, and, and to stand in front of friends, 2 a.m. friends, that, that we, we get these things out. We speak out the addictions. We speak out what happened in our relationship last week. We, we speak out the fears. We speak out the shame. We bring the chapters of our lives and our friends stand in front of us and they say, that's all you got? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. Our brothers and sisters have been given to us to help us. They hear our confession as Christ himself, and they forgive our sins in the name of Jesus. They keep the secret of our confession as Christ keeps it. When we go to our brothers and sisters and we confess this stuff, we are going to God himself. Imagine that kind of freedom. Uh, imagine the power of a community of people who covenant deep in their bones that they will not keep secrets. No emotional affairs, no secret affairs, no lies we've believed. Pornography will be confessed in this place. A shame-free zone where people, imagine a community where people can confess anything and there's no shame. Shame is a lie. There's holy guilt. Listen, we can feel guilty about what we've done, but shame is when we feel guilty about who we are. There is no shame for those in Christ. Imagine a shame-free, a, a light zone. And it begins with every one of you in this room. Paul says it this way. He says, take no part in darkness, but instead expose it. Expose the darkness. The call isn't just to come into the fullness of who you are, to live light, but expose darkness. Now, here's the reality. We as the church, we love exposing darkness out there. 
It is much easier for us to expose the darkness in a brother or a sister than to expose the darkness in our own soul. Paul is dealing with the church. Let's not run out and, and expose darkness. The church is really good at judging other people's secrets. Let's be a, a people that, that, listen, God doesn't expose you to embarrass you. He exposes you to free you. It is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's his goodness, the, the divine exposure of God. We've been afraid of being exposed, but God's like, if you understood the delight of exposure, when in a, in a world, and a culture of exposure, right now there's more exposure in the church, there's more, more things being exposed in the world than ever before, in that kind of world that we've been set in, we come into the divine exposure of God. And we come into the delight, the delight of Jesus when people come into freedom. It's much easier, listen, to rescue orphans out there than allow God to heal the orphan in here. The call is to be a people of light. I, I want to pray for us right now. This, this requires, uh, First John 1 goes on to say that that if we come into the light, we have fellowship with one another. That word fellowship, koinonia, it's one of the most powerful words in the Bible. What it's saying is coming into the light requires that I'm not only honest with myself, but I'm vulnerable with you. If I'm going to live light, I've got to get past the shame. There, there are some of you in this room that you've been stuck in the shame, and so you've got these parts of your chapter, and here's the reality. When we hide parts of our life, we rob the world from parts of God because your whole story reveals his whole grace. And we're learning to bring every chapter, every part. This is the journey into light as a people who are learning to bring every orphan chapter, every fear-filled chapter, every shameful chapter, every embarrassing chapter, last night's chapter, and we're bringing them saying, God, would you shine light in every part of my soul? The enemy's coming for me soon, but he has nothing on me. This message is for someone in this room who's done hiding. This message is for someone in this room who's done pretending. If that's you, just stand where you're at. If you're here and you're, you're tired of hiding, you're tired of pretending, you're, you're, you're tired of bringing your, your best, your sexy chapters to God and, and, and leaving the shame filled, God is not ashamed of your story. If you're here and you've never brought those, just stand where you're at. If you just sense the invitation to, to come into light, just stand where you're at. I know there are many of you in here. If you're here and you're making a covenant with this family in the presence of God that that you will have no secrets. No secrets. This doesn't mean you'll be perfect. It just means you'll get really good at confessing. If that's you, just stand where you're at. I'll have no secrets. I, I, as a husband, I will have no secrets from my wife. As a wife, I'll keep no secrets from my husband. There'll be not a secret in my marriage. I won't keep secrets from this family. Nothing hidden. No unresolved bitterness, 
teach us the art of confession. Just put your hands out. I'm going to pray. God, I just pray a blessing, God, over this family, this, this, uh, this studio. And God, I just pray, God, for the, the delight of God in honesty. God, that you'd raise up a see-through people. Clear. Clear. The clarity the world needs, the clarity your city needs is because, because you have clarity because you're clear. Light. And we pray this. In the name of Jesus. All God's people said, Amen. 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 Thanks for listening, and we hope this talk benefits you in every way possible. For more information about Studio, you can go to studiogreenville.com or go to Instagram and look for studio.greenville. We would also love it if you would leave a review and hit those five stars. Other than that, have a great week, and we'll see you soon.